welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no fluff, actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to make your agency stand the fuck out. The process will probably also work if you're in a startup or small business or whatever else. My guests today are from the SEO PPC unpaid social agency called Dark Horse. The true story about this interview is that I met them through LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, looked at their website, fell in love with the boldness that they embody, and I really wanted to talk to them to understand how they actually created such a masterpiece of a positioning and brand. So it's like a horror movie. Uh, if you go to the website, it's red, black, blood. Everything is turned up to 11. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm just going to read a just a paragraph from their website so you know what I'm talking about. We exist to make you filthy, stinking rich and give your lovely competition sleepless nights. We steal from them and give it to you. We don't enter a world to prove our results. Our awards are clients renewing services. You're not a partner or other marketing guff. You're a client. We don't have to be best mates. So I think that sets the scene pretty well. So in today's episode, we have not one person that I interview, we have two. We have the founder and MD of Dark Horse, as well as the head of marketing who led their rebrand. Both of them have plenty of experience. I'm not going to list it out. You'll understand from their story. And both of them were bold enough to take a stand. So Jennifer Spaniak sloan and John Keating, welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Why are most agencies so fucking boring? I just think they're quite vanilla, just from a surface level, from something that's on a visual level. We have something that, that we talk about in the agency called Logo Roulette, and we're in a very competitive market in the Manchester area. There's a lot of digital agencies in the area, and you can quite easily just swap out their logos in the top left corner of the website, and you never know whose website that you're on. They all say the same thing. We all have case studies that say how brilliant we are. So, you know, the, one of the origins of Dark Horse and why we exist is because I've been on the other side of the table in selecting digital agencies in the past for, for a previous company. So I'm just applying that mindset as to what would stand out for me and, and what would be confusing as a customer. And I find the agency market as a whole very similar, very confusing, very bland and... Um, that's one of the reasons that why we wanted to kind of, you know, pursue a stronger visual identity. It's easier to focus on that than to change your product or, or your service or, or process or, or anything like that. We all do SEO, we all do paid social, we all do PPC, but we all, I say we all, digital agencies as a whole seem to market themselves in the, in the same way. People want to be safe, don't they? Like, yeah. an instinctive to be safe and just go with what everyone else is doing because you know that works rather than like, take a chance, try something different. Yeah, no, I, I like this answer because what, what's happening is in the agency world is anyone with a brain and an internet connection and a laptop can basically start an agency, right? And it's so fucking easy to create a website and to make it look professional and whatnot. So the competition, I like digital agencies as a, as a context um, because it's really, if you can make your agency really stand the fuck out, it's a hard fit to do, right? It's very challenging because there's so many. So there is something else I want to talk to you about. You, you, you mentioned the awards. And so the logo roulette is one issue, I agree. And then you have this mention on your website where you basically say that like awards are, are useless. But yet, I, a lot of companies seems to like care about those, right? In some points, like they feel like, or at least this agency has some experience and history. So what do you think? I think with the words, there's some, there's some that are genuine and there's some that are good that actually show you that the agency is good. But there's so, such a small number of that, that um, a lot of awards you just pay for. They're a sponsorship thing. You sign up, you have, you pay £10,000, you win the award, you will turn up at the awards night. 
And it doesn't actually validate the work that you do. It doesn't show the results that you've genuinely made an impact on for the customer and for the client. We're sort of taking that stance against having awards because we do just genuinely want to help the customer and not blow our own trumpet on, we've got this award, we've won this, but actually, you know, it's not a, it's just a paid for. What's interesting here is I'm pretty much certain that most agency owners and most folks in the industry would share your views, right? They would pretty much share your views about the world and stuff like that. Behind closed doors, one-to-one, you know, when I used to go to events more often and all of that, pretty much everyone agreed, right? So in terms of like beliefs and thinking, they will all say the same thing. There's a massive difference between belief and behavior, between belief and action, between what people say and what they actually do. This is why I wanted to talk to both of you today, because this is what I want to understand. It's so easy to talk the talk, very difficult to walk the walk and go all the way in like you've done. In these episodes, what I want to do is simply just go back in time a bit in terms of like, how did you decide to actually go that far out? You know, what type of inspiration did you get? Uh, what type of fears and concerns did you have before like publishing the new website? You know, really trying to understand that so people can picture that and what it actually takes to stand the fuck out in an extremely crowded market. So John, you're the MD and you're the founder of Dark Horse of the company. So am I right in understanding that initially when you started the company, you didn't go as far as what you have right now in terms of brand design and etc, etc, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not because I necessarily wasn't thinking in that manner, but more I wouldn't have the experience and knowledge to go and do that. But my background is in a different industry and being a customer of digital agencies. It's through that that I've seen um, from a marketing point of view, stuff that I didn't agree with or something that spoke to me or something that didn't spoke to me, but also from a process point of view. So I always wanted whatever Dark Horse became into to be different from what I've experienced. It is hard to do that and I often doubt myself on a daily basis with that. You know, one of the things that, you know, that I'd say to someone if it is difficulty is staying the course. You get so much of the establishment potentially shunning what you're trying to do and think but obvious reasons. You know, they, they don't they don't like our visual identity. They don't like our positioning. It's a little bit of a change from where they're at. It's outside their safety and comfort zone. So it, it is it is hard. But I think it's, you know, it's quite it's difficult to find a white space in the market, but at the same time, I think you can go about it in a process way quite deliberately. I think you can follow the brand books and the, and the brand guidelines and, and, and go and speak to a consultant. And there's a very easy way of mapping out all your competition, seeing what they do and on one side of the screen and then sticking yourself out on the right. The difficulty is having that deliberate wanting to be different, but aligning with who you are. And I hate this, this word because it's absolutely been bastardized on LinkedIn and, and various different social medias. But authenticity and integrity, if you don't sound like the visual identity and the brand positioning that you put forward, you're going to get found out. So we were fortunate enough with the positioning of wanting to be different, actually aligned with myself, my experience. Going back to awards, awards is a good metaphor. It's easy to shun awards at, at Dark Horse because I've, been, I've used award-winning agencies, which were shite. So when you see that loads of people have got loads of crystal decanters and, and paperweights in, uh, you know, on, on display in their reception, but they're delivering shit results, then you soon work out that, well, awards mean jack. It's easy for us to say we're not going to pay for a table of 10. The amount of times that we audit um, SEO, PPC, paid social accounts from award-winning agencies, and they're fucking abysmal. It's not like some kind of like weird rocket science or approach that we're taking. It's, we can physically see with empirical data as well that awards mean shit. You know, we can physically see that a lot of people's case studies mean nothing. We're just trying to do the right thing. So when you started the company, you didn't have that branding. You didn't go all in, right? It was just like any other agency, I'm correct? Yeah, we didn't have the, we didn't have the brand name. Um, we had an underdog mentality. 
Dark horse, of course, in sporting terms means a kind of unexpected winner. The agency was started to help the little guy get a the best, I'll call it, you know, big agency experience they possibly could. So the underlying message and theme about wanting to um, help people overcome bigger, bigger obstacles, bullies online, people with deep pockets always existed. The visual identity behind it was different. Uh, we did a bit of market, well, this is before Jen joined the company, I did a bit of market research. I'm obviously not gonna throw hundreds of thousands at a company without seeing what they had a market would respond to that. Did that for about 12 months, and then Dark Horse was launched thereafter once I'd made some mistakes. Okay, so let, let's go through that process. And Jennifer, like, please interrupt me, if, because you joined around 18 months ago, right? Um, at that time, John, you had already started to test things with the market, is that right? The website was already up and running. Yeah, Dark Horse, was, Dark Horse was in place at that the point. The name was out. Okay. Yeah. Tell me more about how you actually did what you call market research, like for a year. Like what was part of your research? We had this placeholder website, which is absolutely useless. I had no investment behind it. It was called PPC Evolved. You probably can't find it on, online now, but you'll see it on the Wayback Machine. Um, we hired PPC managers, as you would expect, brought them all in-house from, you know, rejecting my agency experience and just literally started giving away our service. Now, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. Well, I was doing crazy things like, we'll do PPC for you for three months to prove our concept. So obviously, you've just got to think of the, the normal situation is that if we're all of a sudden pivoting to do PPC or start a new company, we've got no case studies, no testimonials, none of the other conventional kind of gubbins that comes with it. So who in their right mind is going to trust us? Well, we have to build that. We have to create that. So the investment came into the market research was the investment of doing PPC free of charge, proving that results, and then, you know, seeing uh, the good and the bad. And to be fair, there was some, some negatives in that. One of the things and issues that I had with the agency landscape specifically, the overall profiteering in as much as if an agency can't scale your account and make more money out of you, then the only other way that they're going to make profit is to reduce costs into your companies. How do they do that? They ever automate things or they reduce labor costs, which is use juniors, whatever it may be. And I found in, in, in giving, oh, oh, obviously, but doing PPC free of charge and then going on to charge small amounts with, with the micro businesses of this world, because you know who else is going to trust a new startup in that, in that sense, is that it's kind of easy to fall into that bracket. Um, so we had to, you know, we, we made some mistakes. We didn't want to be like the agencies that, you know, that I used in the past. So we took those learnings and changed that into Dark Horse. Okay. No, market research was really about your positioning itself. So what I mean by positioning is really the, the rational side of things. Who, who are you after? What needs are you solving? How are you solving them? The non-visual stuff, right? Uh, the distinctiveness thing, which we are going to talk about is, is another thing. And what I like about your example is, you know, I talk about the idea of sending the fuck out quite a lot nowadays. And um, a lot of times I'll focus a lot of, on the unique positioning, making sure you solve a need that others don't or in a way that you don't. But you're clearly open about saying that, you know, at the end of the day, you do SEO, PPC, paid social like anyone else, right? I mean, that's what you do, but you seem to do it in a way that is, you know, focus your entire time on making sure they make fucking money. You don't focus a lot of time on, on chasing the worlds and doing like this stuff that doesn't matter. So I think this is when it becomes interesting. Okay, so you started like that, you tested the process, you gave your work for free, it started to work out, right? And then when did Jennifer join after that? So I joined about 18 months ago. And when I joined, we had a website that was different in the market, but nowhere near the level we're at now. 
John and the team had already pulled together a sort of a, a differential point of view, trying to get across his origins a little bit more on the disappointments he'd faced, but it wasn't as bold and as out there as it probably is now, because I think there's always that, as John said earlier, that kind of, um, you've got to trust your gut to just put yourself out there and it was still a new company, so still building and forming new, sort of uh, getting the name in the market, really. Okay, um, so I'm going on the Wayback Machine now. Just uh, I should have done that earlier, but I didn't. What you had two years ago was a massive headline that says it's time to be seen, be seen, engage, convert, and make oodles of money online. We're getting killed online, so it's currently PPC agency are dog mess. What you have there clearly is the same monster you're fighting, clearly the same type of needs you're solving, clearly the same things you're looking for clients. You know, it really comes across, but I would agree that it, it definitely looked like a lot of agencies using like those big fonts and black and white and stuff like that, right? So, which is, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's already pretty good. You got a lot of clients and stuff. There, there was then a transition from you joined, there was this website, look okay, you were happy enough with it, but you knew you could push the envelope even more. What led you to where you are now? Like what, what was the process from start to finish? One of the first sort of objectives I had was to do a mini rebrand is where we started, wasn't it, John? Um, yeah. And as we got into the mini rebrand, and we were looking at the positioning, we were looking at the messaging, looking at our tone of voice. It came became apparent that we actually wanted a visual representation that was much more recognisable, that people would be able to tell us apart, that competitors and other agencies wouldn't be able to mimic easily. The first point was almost we just, as a team, were seeing how far we could push it and what, what we could do, where we could take the limits, where what were people doing. And we knew all the way through, I think, that things might not work and people might not like it or might like it but that was kind of one of our aims is to make the brand polarizing so we had to map out what did that look like you said the team so b beside you and john who else was involved in that discussion we've got a marketing manager katie and we've got a in-house videographer as well okay so. i'm very interested to hear about the mindset thing because this is the biggest hurdle like how to design a distinctive website is not that difficult but the key i think is the mindset is like the hurdle of we want to be polarizing most agencies and others would say you know we want to stand out we want to make sure other agencies can copy us they would say similar stuff so the four of you discussing being polarizing did anyone push back what was the feeling like were you scared did you feel like uh, did people internally push back and say no i don't think we should do this yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, frequently and yeah. still do a little bit now, really, internally and externally, you know, we get quite a variety of feedback. For me, um, <laughs> which I was probably the more of the drive on the creative side of things, the, the process was up and down, you know, it took way longer than it should. We went, I changed my mind. You, you kind of delving into some of the personality traits and anxieties and weirdness that goes on in my mind to, to come out with the website. People select agencies based in a logical format. We all do that. We do that with houses. We put our brief in, you know, into a into a property uh, website that says, I want a four bedroom house with a front and back garden. Great. You get a list of 50. That's the same as typing in SEO agency, London, what have you. You get a list of 40 or what have you. You can easily logically see them. But for me, the, the key thing is, as someone who has used these agencies and selected them, like going into a house, it might be that the kitchen, you know, you imagine yourself in a kitchen or it's got the, you know, the lounge of your dreams or the bedroom or the bathroom, what have you. There's an emotional connection which says, I want that house. Now, I wanted to create an emotional connection with people and bring emotion to, to something which could be considered a fairly kind of, I mean, I don't think it is, but it could be considered dry subjects of graphs and trend lines and stuff like that. But, you know, I've been behind that trend line. 
I know what happens when things go well and things go bad for you as a customer. I know that I've gone home and had arguments and distress and anxieties and put my kids to bed and told them to you know, piss off. I don't want to spend time with them this evening and all those kind of things that don't really get talked about. Digital marketing and PPC and SEO is, a, is about metrics and KPIs and things like that, but it's not. It's about the people behind that and the stories and, and, and the collections of people in the same way it is, you know, part of my role is to is to help the people in, in Dark Horse. It's the same for, for clients. So a way to bring an emotive kind of storytelling aspect to the agency which one to develop. So it then leads on to, well, what things bring out emotion in me? And this is the kind of ideas and the brainstorming and stuff like that. It's like one of my big things is that as a non-marketer, so you've got, you've got the brains here who understands marketing and everything like that, and then you've got the idiot here, but that idiocy plays to my advantage at times of not understanding marketing convention. So I don't have to play by those rules. I'm just thinking, well, what do I like? Popular culture, whether it's music, film, TV, books, actually generate an emotional response. So in the same way that I want to bring a Disney Q experience to Dark Horse, if anyone was coming to a meeting at Dark Horse and have certain music playing and all these different types of things, thinking, well, if I feel a certain type of emotion watching a film, it stands to reason that others may feel it as well. If anyone's seen the latest Batman film or things like that, they can see things within the website which will jump out at them, which will either, it sounds a bit weird, but it's, you know, it's about making people laugh. It's about making people cry. It's about making bringing fear to it because we can all pick a digital agency based on a 368% case study of ROAS. That doesn't mean that it's going to be good or you're going to get on or you know anything like that. That's what led us to kind of this more visual brief and brainstorming sessions. It's, it was about bringing emotion. Good stuff. No, like, I, I so agree with everything you said. I mean, the, and I think you're doing a good, good job at explaining the, the emotional side of things, um, mentioning anxiety and everything like that, because that's, that's the truth, as you said, right? So, so you were in that, in that position where you, you think you're not a marketer. You obviously are a very good marketer. You just don't know it. And you kind of found this team, right? So tell me more about this. You talked about brainstorming. So tell me more about that brainstorming or those probably brainstorming sessions. I, I suppose they're plural. How did you go about defining the theme you really wanted to push forward? I think it's coming from a, a pretty dark place of having, you know, Dark Horse is, is, is bought out of PPC SEO failure from, you know, previous companies and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I kind of find it quite easy to sit in a dark kind of noir world that I operate. I feel that there was a, a little bit, I wouldn't necessarily say maybe Jen would, dictatorial approach to this, but it, it tended to be my cultural references that led it. So some of the things that we chucked out were video games that I'd played, <laughs> experiences that I'd had. I mean, we nearly went down a full-on Viking route, uh, Norse mythology. Unfortunately, Jenny had to go through about six to nine months of <laughs> us going back and forth that we were going to do this. And then all of a sudden, I just walked in and one day I said, no, we're changing it. You know, we're, we're going back to, to basically because I've watched something different. I'm a nightmare to work with. There was a lot of brainstorming sessions and we got information and ideas out but it sort of went down a bit of a path and then it would change course again because it wasn't hitting it wasn't driving that emotional connection or it wasn't hitting the brief or we didn't think people would get it because it didn't tie to our origin story enough and it didn't sort of bring out the points that we wanted to highlight so it did change yeah i didn't feel times. it so every time you know we were kind of looking for you know does it get you does it does it make me want to work with this company and select it and and half of them the ones that we chucked out in the end and didn't. So I didn't think, I mean, I've not read any, maybe there are loads of books on this, but this emotional style of branding, it, was a, it wasn't a nice, smooth process. This was the back and forth, chucking things out, took way too long, all that kind of stuff. But eventually we found what we were looking for. 
Yeah, like it always is, right? I mean, that's what that's why the fake case studies on agencies' website and other type of websites are doing every one of these series, especially people who are very creative. It's never a smooth process. It never feels like a perfect case study. There's always issues. There's always anxiety. There's always like sleepless nights and arguments between team members and stuff like that, right? That's the fucking truth of it. So this is why I was so interested in talking to both of you because of exactly expecting that type of answer. I knew that wasn't a smooth process. I knew it didn't take you just two months. And that's what it takes, right? I'm I'm talking to the listeners uh, right now. If you're listening to this, that's what it fucking takes. There's no perfection. It's just chaos. But that's how you create shit. So, you know, you said it might sound a bit weird, but uh, I think you need to stop saying that, by the way, John, because it doesn't sound weird to me at all. Listeners are also aware of a lot lot of weird stuff. But like cultural influences and references is like something that I advocate for so much, like to get inspiration. Uh, I was just, just as a very, very quick example, I was working with someone 101, like a solopreneur who's who's been doing marketing services for a while and she wanted to really elevate things further. And one thing we we holding on was Samwise Gamgee from The Lord of the Rings in terms of behavior where like the guy Tolkien actually said that he believed that Samwise was the real hero not Frodo because without Samwise Frodo would be uh, fucking dead in a ditch right and the ring will be gone and so like this this thing between like the kindness of Samwise that clearly cares about Frodo but also the very challenging part of him where like he carries him on his back and say come on Frodo like get the fuck uh, you know, let's stand up and, and walk again. You know, we're using that as the, the next part of, of her brand in terms of behavior. Anyway, that was an aside to say that I completely get what you're saying. Um, and maybe we're both fucking weird, uh, all the three of us. <laughs> so, um, okay. So you had those brainstorming sessions and you went back and forth between Viking and Norse and then your gut feeling, like you just, you, there was a little thing in the back of your head. You didn't feel it 100%. So how yep. did you hone in into the, should I call it like the horror theme this is this is anti-hero anti-hero yeah and this this feeds with i mean jenna's got a tough job at, at dark horse i have an anti-marketing stance i don't like you know a load of the bullshit and stuff like that so you know anti-heroes speak to me i was looking for that hope in the darkness in previous experiences so that jumped out but talking about a smooth process there louis we don't share the same cultural references so it's Jen has a very different uh, mind for me, and she's you know one of the the, uh, the best organizers and project managers and stuff that you know uh, I've ever come across. And but Jen likes musicals, <laughs> and you know it, you like the Greatest Showman, uh, the Greatest Show, and stuff like that. And I'm a big Batman fan. It was hard to push through and speak to the marketing team and work with the marketing team when you don't necessarily share the same cultural references. Now, even now, with a you know a brand is convention would say it's only as as strong as the collection of people within it and, you know, supporting of, of that narrative and agree with it. We'd, we're talking about a direct mail campaign and we've just had that rejected by the people who are involved in it internally because they're like, no, nah, no way, I'm no way I'm doing that. It's just hard to stay the course and keep focus when you're looking to operate at that white space level. It's almost as if we just get dragged back, just constantly looking to get dragged back. I love that. So, so... Let's dig into that a bit. I don't want to make you relieve past anxieties and stuff like that, but I can tell you, I'm talking to a lot of like, listeners and I know my people quite well. I can tell you that this resonates, right? I can hear them in my head. I'm, I'm weird a bit as well. Definitely that resonates, the hard thing. So you, you mentioned about this, this campaign, this direct mail campaign of like right now. I want to come back to that in a bit, but how did you manage to get Jennifer on board with your cultural references, with your strategy? Because at the end of the day, you are the MD, like you're the founder, so you have the ultimate say. And when I joined Dark Horse, Anubi, it did want to stand for something different. It didn't want to just fall into this logo roulette 
And I'd previously come from quite a safe set of companies. I was um, about to say that because I stalked you on LinkedIn and I could see the, the industries were quite, you know, safe-ish. Safe, conservative. Yeah, exactly. So I had known that when I was joining Dark Horse, it was a chance for things to be very different and not have to follow normal protocol in branding and not to have to, you know, we still have to understand our audience. We still have to talk to our audience and hit their pain points, but we don't have to do it the same way as everybody else. And we don't have the regulatory aspects that I'd previously had to deal with. I'd already known that. I wasn't coming here to say, right, actually, John, you need to change and not have this difference. You need to be more musicals and singing and dancing because actually that's much more what our current competitors do. And if I wanted that, I would have joined one of those guys. I think when you speak to John, and hopefully you can hear it now, like he's so passionate about it, about the brand, the company, the shit he's had to deal with previously. And I think it comes through so much that actually that does convince you a lot and it it gets you on board. And almost I was there just to be a bit of a barometer to say, yeah, no, I think that's not going to hit the mark or that is going to hit the mark. It was almost, I wasn't against the ideas. I was almost making sure that it still did deliver what we needed rather than the ideas behind it. I think my incompetence just wore her down, to be honest with really. <laughs> yeah. I think back and forth for so many months that she's like, oh, fuck this. Can we just, just whatever you say now, we're just going to do it. I think Jen's being a bit too kind. No, but the, the interesting part here is you didn't convince them through slides upon slides of shit or spreadsheets and whatever. Like what, what you use, uh, your own story, your own emotions, your own point of view. And that's what ultimately convinced people over, over the longer period of time. So I like that a lot. I just want to go on into one thing. So you, you mentioned, yeah, you want you wanted to be the anti-hero, all good, the dark, like Batman, this kind of influences. But that doesn't mean that once you have that, you have everything that you have right now in terms of brand and website. So what was then the next step? Because it's like, to me, the way I would describe the distinctiveness aspect that you have is like you're doubling down on horror movie, like not... I didn't, I didn't think of Batman, the, even the latest one, but that's only my perspective, right? So how did you translate dark and anti-hero and all this shit that you had to live through in your previous career into something that we yeah. have now? Jane kind of mentioned this, is that our previous website was fairly, and I wouldn't say it was run of the mill in terms of tone of voice and things like that. It kind of pushed a little bit. And we felt that in the competitive Manchester area that, that we operate, we were getting a lot of suitors. And I'm not a believer in, you know, imitation being flattery. I just think it's downright lazy shit and imitators can go and die and that kind of thing. I am not a fan of that whatsoever. So one of the things that we talked about was that we really need to put this website into places where our imitators who want to sound like Dark Horse, who want to say what we say and, and have that freedom and liberty to say what it's because it is, it is very freeing to actually say what you think and stuff like that and not, you know, go along with, with so many conventions. I think that they would like to be like that, but they're, they're restricted. So I was like, right, okay, well, we need to make this almost uncomfortable for them to follow because they, I know that they will try it. When you don't have that kind of integrity and authenticity behind you, it comes across as this horrible word that we use, which is edgy. And we <laughs> didn't want to be edgy. Because for me, that's like, you know, like, you know, your well-to-do uncle at a wedding, you then just suddenly start swearing or something. It doesn't sound right. So we wanted to have that kind of realness and visceralness about us and go to places where other people wouldn't go. So that kind of leads us to this anti-hero, this Batman kind of route. But then, yeah, in the same way that it is a horror element and a detective forensic almost you know crime scene element which you kind of feel in kind of like films like seven and things like that we we think that people aren't gonna aren't gonna all of a sudden just come up with this what i do what i do think and what i do predict is that a lot of agencies will start producing more narrative and emotive and maybe immersive type of websites i think that that's what they're going to take from it and, and but you know we get our 
competitors crawling our website on a daily basis. They're all over it. And I think that they are going to kind of rebrand and kind of go a little bit down that route. But I can't see them putting any psycho shower scenes on their website uh, anytime soon. So I think, I think we should be relatively safe for a few years in the space that we're at. So I love that exercise, right? As a thought exercise, if if we were to do this and go all the way that way, would competitors, our competitors be able to copy us or not able, but more would they uh, allow themselves to copy us? You know, would the, the board will say, are you fucking nuts? Will the accountant, yeah. uh, the head of finance would say, are you fucking mad? I think that's a good criteria. How did you translate all of those cultural references and all of those stuff into such a neat narrative and neat you know, distinctive brand that goes around it. Let's say it was continuously changing all the way up until the day before launch in a way. But one of the main things was actually writing the story. So we wanted to have the website that did follow SEO. Um, so it was optimized because we're an SEO agency. We wanted to do that well and we do do it well. But we didn't want that just to be the sole you know, the text on the web page just to be what is SEO and meet mm. SEO guidelines. And, you know, so that's where the kind of narrative side came from, I guess, is how can we make these stories about what we do interesting and resonate with the customer more and have like a, have some entertainment behind it. Mm. Our digital audit pages are particularly strong on this because they have the, it's a, it's a crime scene, it's a murder scene that, um, and it's a story around that, but it's bringing, bringing in like the agency bad practices we've seen. So, the first step was developing those stories and thinking about what does each page mean? What's the story that we want to put on top of the SEO writing, the actual text about what we do? How can we make that page show that emotion and get and that story through? That's what I like about, I think that's a very, very interesting take because it's the mixing of the scientific, rational SEO work where like you really have to check some, you know, there's checklists there to follow, right? You have to do things the right way to please yeah. the, the Google gods. And on the other side, this crazy idea that you that you all had like to execute on and how do you make sure that it's still very distinctive while following best practices. It's actually very, I didn't think about it this way, but I think it's a very, very good example of that as well, like to be able to do both. Because clearly you do mention some words that are important to Google, right? Mm -hmm. And almost everywhere. And clearly, you know, H1, H2, H3, I mean, all this shit, right? And yet, you went all the way. So when you just briefly as an aside, how when you talk about a story, you know, everyone like storytelling is a buzzword. Everyone talks about fucking stories. But you like specifically, what did a story framework or structure look like for maybe the, the about us page? Like, how did you go about creating this story that you mentioned? Again, this just comes up straight out of my head. So, you know, trying to reverse engineer that process. The homepage and the about us page and stuff like the contact us page, and not, I call them the non-service pages, would be the, the most emotive and story-driven narrative type pages. And they're pages that I put together because I find it easier because it is my tone, you know, my tone of voice as the founder is a starter back in a few years ago. This can translate. So literally, we you know, we I wrote the origin story of Dark Horse. Now, although I'm not a writer, you know, getting it on paper, who better to actually understand the emotions and the darkness and all that kind of stuff of what MD, you know, what we're talking about here is empathy to our target audience, which is typically MDs and senior decision makers who are going through this shit and going back home and living all that kind of stuff. Well, I still do it now. I do, I do that. So putting together that origin story with that kind of cultural references. So putting in the seven, putting in the Batman, putting in, you know, the bits of the horror, it kind of flows um, relatively easily because I live it. And this is the whole thing about being real, I suppose. So that, that's where the structure comes from. How long, how long did it take you to, to feel like you, you were at a good place? 
from like the first version? What well, well, I think quite quick. Yeah, I was yeah, say, that w- bit w- was w- a- w- once the start writing, it, yeah. it, it kind of it kind yeah. of all, all I'm doing is remembering. There's, 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 mm. I, I don't think it's that creative. It's just like it, it's just like looking in the back of you know in the back of a mind in that sense. And I'm sure it might be creative to, to others, but they, we we will all have our own individual journeys and stuff like that, and uh, you know our own experiences. And I'm just you know happen to to pull them out. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're. I think you're really, really removing the the creativity or the genius out out of you and making it so mundane. But it's not mundane. So I think creativity doesn't necessarily mean that you come up something that is brand new or anything. I think to me, is the, the connecting two things that have nothing to do with each other and having the courage to actually push the envelope and do it fully. So it feels normal to you, but it doesn't feel normal to anyone else because it's your own story, it's your own fucking pains and problems. And it's your own cultural references and things. So the mixing a lot of that makes it unique and therefore creative. And so, yeah, I wouldn't downplay your, your skills there. I think it's very important to say. So it's the same for me, just briefly. Like when I write copy for my website or my emails and stuff like that, I it really comes naturally because, yes, it's my own story. It's my own voice, my own beliefs. I couldn't write for anyone else for the same reason. So I'm not a copywriter, but I definitely couldn't write, couldn't write for anyone else. But I can write for myself. And I think it, it's just to maybe summarize what you said there, which is very important for listeners, is that um, once you have your own point of view, once you have enough experience and, and once you have this story, yes, it, it is much easier than trying to come up with something that is not you, like trying to sound like everyone else or trying to stand out just for the sake of fucking standing out. If you, if you, if you have to kind of draw it out on a whiteboard, like with, a, with some kind of flow chart, then I couldn't do that. If I have to think, right, here's the mission, the values, the position, the values, you know, the uh, X statement, which we have got and we have gone through, it is important, but it's not as important as the, for me as the, as the story and the narrative and the kind of like, you know, the gut instinct um, side of things. I think the difficulty is extracting that, you know, I found relatively easy and as someone who, you know, gets your emails, I can, you know, it comes through and imagine it's, it, it's easy for yourself. But stay in the course and thinking, do you know what? People are actually interested in this. People think in a similar way when all around you, you've got, you know, competition shunning you. You've got things that, you know, negative um, feedback is something that I still have to deal with on a daily basis. And uh, I love to get positive feedback, cling on to that. Because obviously there's that whole 80-20 rule and stuff like that. I imagine there's a lot of people who dislike our approach. There's a lot of people who are indifferent and just think that, you know, not for us. But we're looking for that 20% out there who, who are our audience. And that's what makes me, you know, carry on. So I want to talk about that. And then I want to talk about the direct mail thing, just as an example of what it takes on a daily basis. So because you mentioned it a few times already. So you mentioned it before in your previous career where you were struggling a bit, like mentally coming back to your kids and not being listening in good mood and having yeah. that playing in your mind. And yeah. now you just mentioned it again through like uh, what you call like negative feedback and agencies shunning you. So tell me more, well, like what, what does it look like on a day-to-day basis? Like let's say you receive an email from someone saying your website is shit or whatever else. Like what comes into your head? Although I'm very particular about the look and feel of a, our website, I'm, I think I'm quite hypocritical in as much as suppliers to Dark Horse and things like that. I don't really give a shit too much about what their website's like. I don't know. Maybe that says more about me than it does them. So I find it, you know, a little bit strange when, yeah, a client who's sending me sending me LinkedIn messages at midnight, and this is no shit, this is, this is real. Right. Circling the fact that it says fuck on our website and saying this is, this is not 
appropriate behaviour. And I'm thinking, what, if you never read a book, do you never turn the TV on? If you never watched a film, do you never go to a football match? How do you exist in life never being exposed to... Well, obviously they are, but I find it weird that for some people there's this kind of rule in place is that we can all say these things, act in normal ways, be normal people, but in the hours of nine till five, you have to turn into this boring like robot that you can't say shit to anyone or you can't be who you are. And I just think that's absolutely bizarre. So yes, we get negative feedback um, from clients saying that we're not comfortable with this. We How don't do we deal with it? In that particular example of the uh, the LinkedIn midnight one, I apologize for any offense caused. And then they then followed it up with a big chat about it. And we didn't make any changes whatsoever. Because if it, it's like, <clears throat> if they were questioning us, if they didn't like the fact that we talk about integrity, yes, it's red, black, and white, and there's a little bit of gore. So what? But if they question the fact that, you know, what we stand for, and if I didn't buckle under that, then I'm completely hypocritical. We talk about integrity. We're talking about doing the right thing. We're talking about results first and making differences to commercial bottom lines. If I get a little bit of feedback which says, oh, you've got too many swear words on your website, or can you swap the red for blue? And I go, yeah, absolutely, no, no problem. I may as well just stop and give up. For me, you've got to carry on and go, I won't say full, full throttle, a considered approach which aligns with yourself and that you agree with and just continue. And I know it's, it's easy to say, oh, well, let negative feedback, you know, wash over you, just bounce off the atmosphere and stuff like that. No, it doesn't. I do feel like a bit like at the times, a bit like the moon. I'm, I'm cratered. I still exist, though. It does hit. There's no doubt about it. And it does take its inch by inch, take its toll. But, you know, external support networks and stuff like that, internal support networks, we are doing the right thing. We have to stick by that value as much as I hate values. And our visual identity will not change and our way of positioning and our messaging will not change unless we decide that it will. And I don't really, I say, obviously, you know, if all of a sudden all money's dried up overnight, then obviously I would make a, a logical, rational kind of decision based on it. But as we, as we seem to be, you know, going in the right way, I'm not going to listen to it. Did you lose the client? Yeah. And I haven't wrote a LinkedIn post saying, oh, we've lost this client, but, you know, easy content and stuff like that. Because it's, it's no one's business. I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast. I mean, and it won't be used for content purposes and stuff like that. But this is what we don't talk about. You know, this is the kind of thing that we do talk about on LinkedIn when, you know, when we sack a client or what have you because, you know, they're being asses, and we can go on the front foot and use it as a positive and get, you know, some cheap engagement, some cheap likes. But actually, now, you know, running an agency, you're going to get punched in the stomach frequently. And this was a punch in the stomach. It's a glancing blow. And yeah, it happened, but we move on. I got quite a few emails over the years about people saying, you know, I love what you say, but it would be much better if you didn't say fuck it every sentence. And it's the same thing. Oh, honestly, it's, it doesn't feel like a punch because it makes me laugh. And it's like the stakes are not super high compared to yours, but it's different every time I screenshot it, put it in a folder. And, and I was, yeah, this, this is why I'm doing this because my wife and I curse like sailors in the house to each other. Like we don't insult each other, but we... We say a lot of, you know, fuck, you know, at almost yeah. every sentence just to describe stuff. You know, that's how I am. That's how she is. You know, that's how we are. And so I don't want to like interview people and have to force to put myself in a box that I don't fit in. Like I just curse and so fucking be it. So if you don't like it, you know, you can just listen to another podcast that gives you nothing of valuable advice. So, yeah, it's the same thing. Obviously not the same uh, stakes, but I think the same spirit, which I love. So going back to the direct mail, you mentioned it and I'm very interested into that. 
So you mentioned that right now you've kind of come up with a direct mail um, complaint or angle and internally you get pushed back. So tell me more. That's one of the hard things to do is to realize that direct mails for us, it's got to be memorable. It's got to, it's got to resonate with the brand and it's got to have our personality in it. We could send out a coffee like everyone else, but it, it won't have that sort of tone of us in it. So I think when we do get pushed back internally, that's kind of hard thing to we deal listen with. To, we, we listen to it. I mean, well. we've literally just been discussing this before. The reason why it, that probably came out, you know, this is this is live. This was talked about uh, 15 minutes before we, we spoke yeah. to you, Louis. We've had, I wouldn't say, well, okay, complaints in the past about previous direct mail. And I would say that the direct mail that we send out is very tame and standard because, as I say, a lot of times I, I kind of, dampen the amplification of the brand for the benefit of the collective. I might want to go full throttle 10 out of 10 all the time because it's easy for me because that it, I live it. Whereas I understand that everyone else, although, you know, they have exposure to it, they orbit around certain aspects of it. They may not you know, be going home and having the same kind of difficulty and, and anxieties. But we've sent stuff like, well, the last one we did was, was nothing in my book. We just sent a Joker card out to people and followed it up. Now they took it as like a, a threat. Threat to life. He's like, who's sending me a Joker card? And I'm like, come on, you know, um, I've, I've not got a problem with it. So now we've now we've amped it up to the way beyond that. Um, the feedback from um, certain aspects of the team is that they might not be comfortable with what we send out, and uh, we'll see how that goes. I've still yet to have, that, have yeah, those conversations of what, what we're going to do. The threshold of it's nothing, it's tame, is a fucking Joker card sent over the mail. I like how. <laughs> Comparing to anyone else, I would say any other agency owners, that would be like crazy shit. More for them, you know. Yeah, I yeah. Think, yeah. I mean, I, I, the other company that I that I own is is a very. It's probably worth saying for context for mm. for your listeners. It's a very compliance focused company. It's about um, direct marketing. It's about business to business, business to business mailing data and things like that. You know, it's a heavily regulated market and things like that. And you can't be as well. I suppose you could. But it's way more difficult to be more creative in that space because it's less of a you know a creative sector. So I find Dark Horse to be very liberating for myself. You know, approaching you know early forties and stuff like that. I'm not going to be touch wood starting many more businesses in the future. So you know why why do I want to bore myself sending out normal letters on Manila envelopes and stuff like that? I'm just, I'm just not interested in that. And that's yeah, not our audience. Not you know. So why bother? It's your outlet, right? I mean, it's, it's your way to just express yourself in a sense, which is which is great. And I, I wanted to go back to one thing, and then um, I'll ask you just a couple of more questions about when you put it live and what happened and all of that. But you mentioned the eighty twenty, right? Like eighty uh, eighty will hate it, or eighty wouldn't yeah. care, or I don't exactly know what proportion. But from my experience, and actually that's backed up by data. Um, there's a good book called um, "How Not to Plan" by uh, Les Binet. Uh, and there's a few research on that that says that basically in the history of advertising, as an example, in all industries, there was never any cases where sales dropped because of like something that was uh, that people didn't like or something like that. So usually what happens is, for example, this uh, you probably know the product. Uh, there was a product a few years ago that advertised solely for men or women, one of the two, or for girls, I don't remember. They said, like, this is only for men or something like that. that, that everyone fucking complained on anything. And yet sales kept increasing for both genders. So anyway, the point is saying that, like from my experience as well, I can count on maybe two hands mm -hmm. the number of times I actually got complaints or emails and stuff like that. So it's very rare. Um, 
most of the time people don't give a shit or remember very vividly. Um, so going back to that, then going back to the step-by-step and all the stuff all the way to the end. So you've designed the, the website, you had the copy, you really went, you know, out there to design it. Um, tell me about the day before you put it live. Like, tell me about what was the mood like in there? It was busy. <laughs> so we did it. It was obviously a lot of um, when you do a website, when you're about to release it, you've got all the pre-checks and making sure everything's ready in that sense. So we were all working long hours to put to get it ready, to get it out and get it launched. Um, but yeah, I'd say there was always that sort of underlying, this is either going to go really well or it's going to go absolutely terrible. Like there was never a, a moment where it was like, yeah, this is going to be great. Like there was sort of like an up and down continuously throughout as to how how people would react to it and um you know that first sort of point when it was going to go live what was the feedback going to be what was the reaction going to be so it's it wasn't a plain sailing kind of mood <laughs> i was shitting myself oh 100 i mean why why wouldn't it be uh, in in a, in that sense i mean I, I think i've got the courage of my convictions but you know you, you never really know if you if you do, if you do something which you know is towards the edge of deliberate like comfort zone and why it's, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, at the website going live at that point, I wouldn't say the full agency was behind exactly what we were doing. Mm. That, so if I know internally that I've got people working at Dark Horse who are actually thinking, you know what, I'd much prefer we didn't do this and prefer the old website. And uh, um, not to say that they're, you know, completely the other way of, you know, safe and, and where everyone else sits. But I knew that this, well, I, I was incredibly nervous. Um that would be my major take from it. But I'm sure there'll be some, you know, clever business people that would say, you know, some put out some, you know, twee responses and, and, and tropes that say, well, if you're not nervous, you're not pushing hard enough or you're mm. not doing this. You know, it's all very well. And that's great in a book. But when, you, when you're fucking living it, it's a little bit different. You know, when, when you're not sleeping at night thinking what, you know, is, am I about to destroy what we've built? That's, di- that's different. Uh, maybe, you know, I'll look back on it. So far, so good. There is the reception has been positive. I would say that there's a lot of, you don't know that, you, there's that indifferent section that you don't know whether they hate it or not because they don't give any feedback whatsoever. And I'm sure there's, there's probably, you know, a lot of negative in that. And we have a few negative, I would say probably, you know, 10 negatives so far, which is 10 more than we got from the previous website. So in a percentage jump, absolutely astronomical, but it, it's making people having an, an opinion that, that possibly wouldn't. And I'm so glad you're mentioning shitting yourself, not literally, hopefully, and all of that stuff, um, because that's the truth of it, right? I mean, yeah. it's easy to advocate it on daily emails, on book, and but yeah, the reality, as you describe, is is different. So, so you put it live, and then what happened? Not a lot. We're a B2B service. We're not. It's not as if Nike are putting a, a new website, you know, getting millions of hits and and, and what have you. We're a, a relatively small agency um, in Manchester. Obviously, we saw all our, our competition soon get wind of it. They're all over the website. I would say a silence from the industry as they pretend it doesn't exist. As it was launched, I think my, my post on LinkedIn was, we are opting out of Logo Roulette. Now, all my competition follow myself and stuff like that. So straight away, they know something's going down and some, some shit's happening. And they're looking at it and... Yeah, I can imagine they, they had a view on it, but we don't necessarily get a lot of positive feedback from within the industry, which I do notice around the industry as a whole. A lot of agencies seem to be patting each other on the back and stuff like that. Now, rightly or wrongly, probably wrongly, a lot of things that I seem to say are wrong, I'd imagine that 
This is because we don't necessarily or try to position ourselves in what I call this pyramid of like establishment where you've got a few good agencies at the top, mediocre agencies and a lot of shit agencies. And it could be for any industry. That's very controllable. So if you're one of the better agencies at the top, you know, you can beat the people below you based on service, based on product, whatever it may be. Where I think that Dark Horse sometimes is unpopular and doesn't get any kind of positive, you know, recognition for the growth and, the, and what we've done so far is because I try to say reject the fucking pyramid. Mm -hmm. Like it's full of agenda and you know, messaging that comes out to support certain agendas. And what I'm trying to say, or you know, we're trying to say with Dark Horse is, is, to, is to anyone who listen, our audience is, that's okay, respect it, but come up with your own opinions, understand people's agenda, you know, understand if someone puts out a post on LinkedIn, why everything's an advert on LinkedIn. You know, if someone's having a, putting a picture of a Christmas do on LinkedIn as the team, they're doing it to attract talent in January. Because, you know, everyone who, everyone was, who was at the Christmas party, you know, they don't need to see it on LinkedIn. No one needs to release a policy on LinkedIn. You would, you would do it, you know, in, you would exactly. get everyone together and have a chat or send them an email or whatever it may be. So all marketing has an agenda. Uh, and I, you know, I'd love it if, if, if our target audience picked Dark Horse because they've considered us, they've considered these guys tell the truth. Have they told us the shit things about them? Yeah, we have. Have they told us the good things about them? So we can make our own opinion. But this whole um, pyramid and our kind of rejection of, of, of how agencies typically market themselves makes us not very popular. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of uh, silence to start with for the, the first kind of you know, hour. And then the positive messages from, from non-agencies um, start to come through. What about the business? So it's been, a, when, 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 it's been a year and a half? No, it's been a bit less than you put this all brand live. When was it exactly? Oh, it's, it's, it's January this year. Yeah, end of January we oh, went shit. live. For this okay. brand new, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. my, so my, in in my head, what I did was I just merged, you know, Jen, uh, you, you joined 18 months ago or 20 months ago now. And basically I was thinking it happened quite fast after them. But no, it didn't. So it, just a couple of, like, just a couple of months ago at the time yeah. we we're recording this. So how did business go? Did you lose all your clients and went bankrupt? <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're still here. <laughs> yeah. uh, we lost a couple of clients or what were one client? One client well, we've lost, we've lost, sorry, we've lost one client. Um, we've gained. You know, I don't know um, how many more, everything's going well. From an SEO point of view um, and from a marketing point of view, we're generating more leads than we've ever generated before and all those different sides of things. It's very easy to say, oh yeah, be brave, be courageous, do this, blah, 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 it'll all be fine. Because I've, you know, having someone who's gone through that, that's that's hard to listen to and, and, and carry on. Mm -hmm. So far, actually that has stood to be true. You know, so to sound like one of those knobheads, yeah, you know, Go, uh, I thought you'd recommend it, go and do it, blah, blah, blah. Mm, yeah, it is difficult, but it, it has worked out well for us. No, I love that. I think that's exactly why I wanted to have uh, both of you on the pod. And you mentioned, you forgot to mention one massive win that you got thanks to this new brand. You got invited to speak on the best marketing podcast in the world. Exactly. That's one of the things. Yeah, so. <laughs> but no, in, in, in all seriousness, though, I would have never, ever even slightly considered talking to you uh, if it was the previous website. I wouldn't have replied to Jennifer on LinkedIn. I wouldn't have give, given a shit. I paid attention. Obviously, I'm a you know, we are in the same type of space, and we I think we think we think very similarly. Um, but yeah, I definitely like straight away. I was like, "Fuck, this is." I've never seen anything like that before. Like genuinely, I've never seen a digital agency, whether it's in Manchester, the UK, US, whatever the fuck. I visit them quite, you know, I I, I look at a lot. 
And yeah, so that was just fantastic from that perspective. I'm not surprised business is going well. I want to applaud you for doing this. And I want to thank you as well for sharing this story so openly. Um, and I think that's going to inspire people to stop, you know, trying to, f to be someone that they're not and just taking a bit of risk and see where, how far it, it takes them. So thank you for being so open today. I really appreciate it. A pleasure. Yeah, thank thank you. you. So just a couple of questions before I let you go. What do you think are the top three resources you'd recommend listeners today? I'd probably say uh, there's a big thing about talking to business agency owners and or to your target audience, making sure you actually know those agency audience. Uh, well, for us, the audience that are using our services. So understanding that commercial mindset, whether that be through networking or through you know following on LinkedIn or like having conversations with people. Second one would probably be keeping your finger on the pulse in the industry. So again, podcasts, listen to this podcast, listen to LinkedIn, um, see what's happening, keep abreast of that. You might not like it, you might not agree with it, but it's good to know what is happening and where people are coming from. Yeah, I mean, I hate on LinkedIn frequently. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, we use that for our advantage as opposed to actually listening to it. I'm thinking anything that I read about it, you know, instantly I almost want to do the opposite. So I do the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> And then I'd say probably like the new AI stuff, like have a look at it and, and learn about that and see how it can help you to your advantage. I think there's, there, there's a mixed view on AI as it's developing and I don't think we're going to lose it. So you might as well embrace it. So I don't, I don't have anything as kind of as intelligent as that. Um, Cause I, I, you know, I, I don't think in that way, I would just watch revisit the films that made you feel something at any point in your life. Like, you know, I grew up in the eighties. I've watched Rocky four more than anyone else should watch it. I can basically quote it and stuff like that. Um, if anything in music, you know, create, it sounds a bit cliche, but mood boards, uh, and stuff like that. And wherever I don't, you know, don't physically have to be exist somewhere, but just files on your computer, pictures, films, images, uh, video, all that kind of shit. Keep it locked away because you never know when you're going to have that kind of urge to, to pull on that. And also as well, I know it's, it sounds a bit, again, a bit trite to say like a resource, but I would just say uh, that mixture of the logical side of, you know, keep logic and rationality in, in your brain, one side of your brain, just to make, for, to find reasons for a decision. But then once you've got the reasons for the decision, then I would say go with, you know, your gut and your instinct and Put, you know, putting that with your cultural references and and, the, and your emotions and things that make you feel. You know, when I think about all the books that I've ever read about business and stuff like that and all the resources that I've, I've consumed, has that contributed to, uh, well, probably some small bits, like, you know, make sure, it, it, you know, on a website it says what you do within three seconds, all the kind of normal stuff. But to be honest, I think that's common sense anyway. You don't have to read that in a book. If you, if you, if you don't think in that way, you're in trouble. But it's the stuff that you don't find labelled as a resource, because it's shit that you're not thinking about as a resource. It's the shit that's in your head or, you know, in your informative years and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and I would say that's, that's the, you know, the important stuff. Yeah, I'm nodding like an idiot because that's, that's the source of fucking right. And just one last thing is the fear. Uh, I know that people have this fear of when they try to create something new, they're afraid of using some, something else, you know, because they feel like it's all cheating or stealing or whatever. But that's how, the only way I know how to create. You have to be inspired by something else. You can't just start from scratch in all angles. You have to like 
be inspired by, yeah, as you said, like that movie that you fucking loved or anything like that. So that's probably the last thing I wanted to share. Um, again, thank you so much, both of you. I think we mentioned uh, your agency many, many times over. Um, so where can people connect with you and learn more from you? Ironically, LinkedIn and and, uh, and the website darkhorse.co. But yeah, if you want to uh, say hi on LinkedIn, we're um, always, always up for a chat. Yeah. I'll mean, just send fuck you to John instead of hi. It's probably better. Oh, 100%. Do not yeah, say yeah. You've, got, you've got shared connections or anything shit like that. Yeah, 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 just tell him, like, fuck off, and then he'll yeah. be Or sell something to me. Just tell the, yeah. say the fucking truth. Yeah. You want to sell say something it. to me, just say it. Say it directly. Yeah. Whatever to you, Jennifer? Yeah, same. Either LinkedIn or through the website is the best way. All right, once again, thank you so much. And that's it for another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content is coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.